Fangraphs Audio. I'm Carson Sestouli. In what follows on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, we have a couple of interviews conducted by David Lorla, the curator of our excellent Q&A series, a couple of interviews with Detroit Tigers personalities, both past and present. The first interview you'll hear is with Tom Brookins, who is not only the current first base coach for the Detroit Tigers, but was actually the third baseman on a 1987 version of the Detroit Tigers that, though entering June 1st at 500, ended the season by winning 98 games. Brookins takes Lorela and a listener through a player-by-player comparison between the current iteration of the Tigers and that 1987 squad. Following that is an interview with left-handed Tigers reliever Phil Koch. Koch addresses his failed attempt at converting from relieving to starting last season, the perils of being outspoken, with references there to Chris Perez uh, and Bobby Valentine, and also correct beanball protocol. goes without saying, of course, that there is much more than that as well to be enjoyed on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, featuring interviews by David Lorela with Tigers first base coach and former third baseman Tom Brookins and current left-handed Tigers reliever Phil Koch. Welcome to another In the Clubhouse episode of Fangraphs Audio. I am David Lorela. My guest is Tom Brookins, and I think today is going to be a real treat for fans of the Detroit Tigers, especially fans who were around 25 years ago. Uh, Tom, of course, is the first base coach for the Tigers now. In 1987, he was the third baseman on a team that was at, that had a 500 record on June 1st and went on to win 98 games, which I think makes them an interesting comp to this year's Tigers team, which certainly has the potential to, to do the same. I, I'm sure you agree with that, Tom. Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, you know, we uh, the. We're about the same point uh, right now on this ball club as we were in in '87. You know, we were just kind of plugging along around 500, and uh, we felt we had a pretty pretty good ball club. But you never really know how it's going to play out, and that's similar to us right now. We feel like we got some very good personnel here, and and quite honestly, feel we're a little better than what we're playing. But you know, you got to play them one day, to, every day, to see how it finishes out. Well, let's compare some of that personnel. It takes more than just the names of the lineup card to win. But if you have uh, Alex Avila or Matt Noakes 25 years ago, how do those two players compare? Well, they're, quite honestly, they're pretty similar. Matt was a, was a good uh, hitting catcher. You know, he, he had some power. He, he was a young guy, same as Alex. Probably uh, Matt didn't have a whole lot of major league time in at that particular point. So quite honestly, they both uh, kind of play the same game. Uh, Alex, uh, quite honestly, may be a little bit better defensive player than Matt was, but Matt certainly had the, the luxury of Tiger Stadium's uh, porch there that he could reach, but he was one of our top uh, prospects in the system at that time. So I think we can rate those guys fairly evenly. First base, I think, is very interesting because Prince Fielder, one would assume, well, he wins this hands down, but Darrell Evans was one of the more underrated players in baseball for a long, long time. Uh, yeah, that's correct, and Darrell was, was one of the first real free agents, uh, big uh, free agents that the Tigers had signed, bringing him in in '84. So, Darrell was a was a was a uh, just a consummate uh, offensive player. He he was year after year. He kept putting numbers up, and his age was getting up there, and he kept kept putting up good numbers and 
and was a big part of the ball club and, and a major reason that we came on in actually in, in 87 and ended up winning division. I mean, you have to probably go with, with Prince Fielder uh, having a slight edge just in, in, in the fact that uh, him being a little bit younger than, than Darrell was at that particular time, but both of them outstanding offensive first basemen. And the middle of the infield there, I think it's pretty obvious the edge has to go to, to Whitaker and Trammell over Ryan Rayburn and Johnny Peralta. Well, I'd have to say no matter who you matched up uh, Lou and Tram with, you'd have a hard time uh, not putting those guys ahead of them. But you're right, Lou and Tram uh, still uh, really in the primes of their career and uh, playing well. So, yeah, they, they have the edge. I think third base is an interesting matchup. A uh, fellow by the name of Tom Brookins versus uh, Miguel Cabrera. Uh, yeah, I had a hard time with this one struggling, you know, that uh, they're, they're so so close offensively that it's, you know, you, but no, certainly uh, Miggy, uh, no one can match, uh, you know, what he does offensively. And, and uh, I'll give myself a little bit of an edge on the defensive side of that, but, but Miggy is, uh, you know, He's probably going to be an all-star third baseman this year and uh, just a tremendous player. Now, once again, I'm here with Tom Brookins. Center field, I think, is a pretty good comp. That would be Austin Jackson and Chet Lemon. Chet, of course, you know, veteran player at that time, uh, outstanding defensive player, uh, as is Austin Jackson, too. But, uh, you know, it's I'm not so sure who you would give an edge there. Uh, maybe Chet just because of of uh, the experience that he has and, and putting everything together. But I think probably Austin, uh, in the long run in his career, maybe end up being uh, you know even better offensive player than Chet was. But that remains to be seen. But I'd have to say that's, that's pretty equal right there. The corner outfielders uh, would be, well, mostly Bosch and, and Dirks for the current team. Uh, Kirk Gibson was in right field, of course, for the 87 team. Uh, Pat Sheridan and Larry Herndon were both in left. Yeah, I would have to, you know, I'm, I'm going to give Gibby the edge over over uh, Boshy right now, that's for sure. Gibby just, you know. Bosch probably won't be insulted by that, I Well, don't think. And, and I mean no disrespect because I, I think uh, Brennan, uh, his ceiling is, is tremendous. You know, I don't think we've seen what we're, what we're going to get out of him for a whole season yet. So, I mean... But uh, Gibby, you know, uh, meant a lot, leader on the team, so so to speak, and, and I'm going to give him the edge there. Uh, left field, uh, Larry Herndon, one of my favorite players in baseball, and Pat Sheridan, they did platoon there a lot of times, and we got good production out of them. Dirksy, uh, right now at this point, has done an outstanding job for us, and I certainly project him to be an everyday player in the major leagues. Uh, so he potentially, but we had more of a veteran team back then than we do right now. So maybe that you, you give the 87 club just a little bit because of uh, experience. The 87 Tigers had a veteran designated hitter in Bill Madlock, a former batting champion who was maybe getting a little long in the teeth by that time. Your current team has Delman Young. Yeah, well, you know, Madlock, he's a batting title, you know, and, and although he was closing in on the end of his career, I think he brought a certain, you know, little bit of a, a spark to us at that point. You know, we got a bat in there that was a was a proven bat, but 
but I'm not going to sell uh, Delman short either. I mean, last year he kind of provided that for us coming in, but you know, I, I think they're kind of a, a wash. I think I think maybe uh, Delman certainly had more power than Bill, but Bill uh, a, a better overall hitter. And that brings us to the pitching staff, and we may not go one-on-one uh, -on -one through the entire staff, but we will definitely talk about the aces. A couple of pretty good pitchers. Well, you're talking about Jack Morris and Verlander, and that's a tough call right there. I mean, uh, right now you, you'd have to give uh, Verlander the edge, uh, although Jack Morris to me is a Hall of Fame pitcher. Uh, <clears throat> he was our number one guy for... 10 years and and when you needed a win you counted on him and it's much like uh like justin is right now but justin is a little bit more dominating than than jack as far as in any particular game uh being as far as you know no hitter type stuff that kind of stuff but no one can argue the fact that jack morris pitched you know maybe some of the biggest games in uh, playoffs and certainly either one of those guys uh, very capable of being your ace, and it, it is a tough call. I think, I think Justin, uh, a little bit more dominating, uh, and Jack just guts it out. Each team had a left-handed starter. One, a former flamethrower who threw the ball very slow by 1987, Frank Tanana. You have a young guy here who seems to have a little Frank Tanana to him. Well, Frankie, you know, pitched the last game of the season that year and beat Toronto in the final game in which we clinched the, that division. And, and if I recall correctly, I think it was about a one nothing shutout. So, you know, Frank was a was a outstanding competitor. No one pitched better than he did. A lot of guys had better stuff and, and threw harder, but he was a guy that knew – uh, could dissect the other hitter with whatever he had to do, whether it be an off-speed pitch, and and uh, and our young lefty here, he's just coming into his own, and we'll we'll have to wait and see how he plays out. But he's done an outstanding job for us, uh, and Drew, and he's gonna he's gonna be a good pitcher. But I got to give the edge to Tanana there. One reason the 1987 Tigers went on a run and went down the stretch was Doyle Alexander went 9-0, the famous Alexander for Smoltz trade. Does this current Tiger team need that type of shot in the arm, a veteran coming in to put you over the edge? I don't think so. Uh, and I say that for the reason that, you know, we have uh, Ricky Porcello and we had Dan Petrie back then. We had uh, Walt Terrell back then. And, and you got a Max Scherzer. Those guys are all play out that when they pitch good, they win, and when they don't, we, we lose, you know, and that's kind of the way it was with both of them. But I think pitching depth-wise for us here in, in 2012, we have really the guys that can get it done in the starting rotation. So I don't think we need that. You know, people always ask me about that trade that for Doyle Alexander and how do you give up a John Schmoltz. Well, you know, Doyle did come in and, and helped us get there and get to the playoffs. Unfortunately, we got beat by Minnesota, but uh, he did what we needed to do. And you got to remember that Schmoltz was uh, just in double A in the minor leagues, was not a, a proven pitcher by any means. And, and to, to say that you could reject that he went to go on and do what he done, you, you would, uh, I think you'd be saying, overstretching the boundary to say that you could consider that was going to happen. And now one last comparison for Tom Brookins. Every team needs a good skipper. How do you compare the great 
George Sparky Anderson to the fiery Jim Leland? Well, they're very similar, quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, uh, both of them uh, very uh, kind of dominant personalities on the club. You know, Sparky certainly, um, you know, he always, uh, we knew 100% that he was our leader and whatever he said went. And, and it's very similar with Jim here. I mean, he... Everybody in this clubhouse knows who's the leader of this ball club, and it's Jim Leland. And when when he gets going, that's the way it's supposed to be. So, you know, uh, the styles are not too much different. You know, we had a little more speed at, on the club back then in, in 87. Right now we're a little bit more of a banger team here in, in uh, 2012. But, boy, don't ask me to pick Sparky or Leland one over the other because I have so much respect uh, for both of them that I'm just blessed to have been a part of, of their careers. So to close this out, I think we do need a consensus. My own personal opinion would be that the 87 Tigers get the edge but if the current Tigers can advance to the playoffs, win 90-plus games, they have a right to be right up with that team? No question. Uh, I think, uh, you know, if we can do what we think we're capable of doing here this year and, and uh, go ahead and win our division and, and move on, uh, this club will certainly be every bit as good as that club. Tom Brookins, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Phil, a year ago you were Tigers lefty starter, Phil Koch. <laughs> you know, how, how did that all come about? When we did an interview, actually, prior to last season, and you said that you wanted to do this, you could do this, and you were the type of person who does not fail when you want to do something. Did you fail as a starter in your eyes? Um, actually, I feel, I feel like uh, when... Uh, Tampa Bay came in, into our yard and uh, I had hurt my foot, but that that totally took me off the track I was on because I went from good start, bad start, good start, bad start, mediocre start, and getting better. That particular game, I had I had gotten into the the third inning, you know, and I was I was perfect to that point, and I gave up a, a leadoff hit. And then the the bunt, and I hurt my foot, and it kind of took me off off uh, off the the roll I was starting to get myself on, and just totally worked into my brain in a very negative fashion. So I absolutely failed more myself by allowing that to get into my head and to mess with me because of how I ended up being put on the DL. Just didn't it didn't work out in my brain because I I thought I was going to be able to throw my bullpen. And you know there was no no major worries whatsoever as far as the, the X-ray or MRI. There was a little bit of swelling. I found out I have an extra bone in my foot. Go me. Um, and that just it it ate at me, and I allowed it con- to continue to eat at me rather than putting it out of my mind and moving forward. So instead of taking a step forward, I took two steps back, and it totally messed me up for continuing to be a starter in the rotation. There's a correlation there, I think, between the extra bone in the foot and the step back. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. No pun intended. Do you see yourself ever going back into the starting rotation? Is that something you would still like to do? You know what? I mean, what I said, I stand by. Uh, my 
my determination to be successful at something. I mean, I was determined as a three-year-old kid to do what I'm doing today. And here I sit in a Major League Baseball park, Fenway of all places, sitting in the dugout with you doing an interview. Didn't realize that this was going to be part of it, the whole interview thing, but, you know, especially not, not as a kid, you don't, you don't realize the, the media attention that has grown in leaps and bounds throughout the years, but at the same time, you, you watch and you idolize different guys for what they bring to the field every day, and you want to be like them, and I was, I was able to, you know, watch, grow up watching guys like uh, Matt Williams and Barry Bonds and Kurt Manwaring and... Jose Uribe and Robbie Thompson and Will Clark. I mean, just watching those guys made me want to be a baseball player in the major leagues. And having having those things kind of help guide me and drive me to be where I'm at now, I think that if given the opportunity again, that I would have a much better idea of what I need to do to go about it at the major league level. I think that it was... It was something that I didn't exactly take a full account of when I said uh, that I could do it and that I wanted to do it. Looking at it now and seeing the way that it went, there are many things that I did that I can make the adjustment and be successful the next time. You mentioned media. Baseball is a game where it's difficult for a Phil Cope maybe to say, I think I should start. I recognize you're not sitting here now telling me, saying it in so many words. Uh, Chris Perez recently got in trouble for saying he wished there were more fans in Cleveland. Luke Scott got into trouble for saying that the clubhouses in Fenway Park are too small. Now, I think it goes without saying that most any player is going to agree with either of those things. A lot of relievers would love to start, and they think they could do it. But there's an expectation that maybe they don't say what they think. Well, there's there's a there's definitely a lack of desire to speak your mind because you don't want to have that uh, error about you that you're looked at as a troublemaker or somebody that's overly boisterous. I mean, just those couple examples that you gave. You have other examples as well that people may or may not agree with their viewpoints, like Ocho Cinco or. Terrell Owens, or I mean, some some other predominant figures in in their field in which they play, or you know, different like Donald Trump. I mean, he's he's very outspoken as well, and he's very matter of fact and goes about it a certain way. And if it's if it's not his way, it's the highway. And I mean, you're you're definitely more tentative to say anything because you don't want to anger your fan base. You don't want to you don't want to upset your fan base but at the same time I can understand where they're coming from especially with Perez having been there been able to go to a progressive field the last few years and see as I was growing up seeing when they first built it how they had all these fans filling the seats on a regular basis there wasn't an empty seat in that house and now you go there and most of the lower bowl of the stadium is filled depending on the day or depending on who's in, the, in, in town to play, which after his comments were made, there was more people in the stands. I mean, I know it may have really irritated some people, but people showed up. Whether it was just to show up in spite of him, to boo him if he messed up, or to cheer cheer on the team, and or what, it doesn't, it doesn't 
isn't really a matter of importance as far as, far as the reason why they came, but they came. You know, and that's that's what you you want to see. You want to like here. There's barely an empty seat here in Fenway. No matter what the season looks like, people are always here. You're always as a visiting team. You're always getting booed by a bunch of people because there there's not an empty seat here. And once again, I'm here with Phil Coke. Earlier this season, Bobby Valentine made a comment that was not necessarily complimentary of Kevin Euclid. Now, it wouldn't be fair to ask you to address that directly. It's another team. It is other people. But in a general sense, how sensitive are players to, to management or managers commenting about them in public? Uh, that's a tough question because it depends on the situations going on within the within the clubhouse that nobody knows about except for the guys on the team and or the management or the front office people. I mean, there's things that the management and the front office people talk about that nobody on the team has any ideas going on either. So, I mean, there's all these different dynamics that play out. And, yes, it may not have been complimentary. And when you attack, I'm speaking totally out of turn here but when it when it comes across as feeling like an attack without there being some form of a, a conversation between you and the manager you and the management or the front office then it, it feels kind of backhanded and I can understand both sides especially looking at it from an outsider's perspective being in a position you know in the clubhouse myself looking at it that way or looking at it from a, an outsider's perspective completely from a totally different organization or even as a fan that you see the guy out there and he's not a guy that you would accuse of lack of effort you know in an at bat and you know play at first base or whatever he's a very emotional guy and he lets him hang out all the time so I don't I don't know if I would necessarily agree with the comments that were made whatever they may have been, if they were attacking his his demeanor and or his uh, ways of going about his business. I mean, from, a, from an outsider's perspective or from an, an opposing pitcher's perspective, he's a guy that you want to get out because you know his caliber of play is so high. On a related subject, and once again, we're here with Phil Coke. Uh, old school baseball, uh, was always an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You hit your guy, we're going to hit yours. That seems to maybe not be the case as much in baseball anymore. How, how do you address a situation where somebody gets hit by a pitch? You know, I mean, the different situations that occur on the, on the field during the game, whether it's heated or, or accidental, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter the situation. I mean, if if a guy has incredible control problems and he hits five guys in your lineup, then his team's probably wondering what's going to happen to him because sooner or later somebody's going to get tired of it and somebody's going to retaliate or try to send a message like, hey, you need to figure it out because you're hitting our guys, we're going to hit your guys. That's been... One of the things about baseball that seemingly has been timeless up until recently, that is, you know, look at look at guys back in the day like Gibson. Right? If you hit one of his guys, he was going to hit five of yours. This being Bob Gibson, of course. Yes, 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 yes. Excuse me. 
Or if, I mean, if you hit Kirk Gibson, I think you'd have a problem. I'm sure. I'm sure he would. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have too many issues coming out there and thumping on you either. You know, whether it's five guys hit by pitch or five guys hit by fist, I think you know there's gonna there's gonna be some form of um, the game taking care of itself. So, and I mean that's that's some of the, like unwritten rules in baseball. I mean, guys handle it different ways. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly how I would I would prefer to go about it other than I mean I'm, I'm, I'm misspeaking how I would prefer to go about it is by doing my job extremely effectively and getting my team in a position to win the ball game rather than hit people and one last question for Phil Cole. The fan base in Detroit is very strong. You have a lot of people at the ballpark, but I know that some fans are disappointed with the slow start over the first two months. What can you tell them going forward into the season as you guys try to win a World Series? It's not how you start; it's how you finish. I mean, it's a it's a it's a marathon. It's not a, it's not a sprint. I mean, if it was a sprint and we were going to just base base our season on the first week, then. You know, we had a tremendous first week. We were one of the best teams in baseball the first week. And, you know, that that would dictate what people's thoughts and feelings are, you know, based around. Currently, yes, we've had our struggles. I mean, you look at the Red Sox team. They have a great team, and they've had their struggles. They haven't been above 500 this year, I believe. They have not, as we speak. And, and that's disappointing for the Boston fan base because it's the Boston Red Sox. It's disappointing that the Yankees aren't in first place when you look out there on the standings. They're not in first place. You look at the Orioles, the shoes on the other foot with them this year. They're they're out in front. They're leading the pack. And they're doing it very convincingly. Which isn't something that baseball has been accustomed to over the last few years. But it seems to go in rotation. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna have your different championship teams. You're gonna have your different different teams that struggle that have the parts and pieces that shouldn't struggle. But it's a, a very very touchy dynamic on a team at any given time of the year, whether it's injuries or whether it's you know players being moved up, moved down, and whether it's new faces or old faces, whether it's age, whether it's it's being too young. There's so many different factors. You can't base what a team's doing today on what they're doing in the future. Like you can't take it. You can't judge the book by its cover. You have to read it all the way through to find out what happens. And on the final page of this season, you think that it's going to be a happy ending for the Detroit Tigers? I don't see why not. I don't see why not. I think I think that we have we have a tremendous squad. I think we have great attitude and I, I think that we have the demeanor in which we need to proceed forward and prove any naysayers out there wrong. Phil Cope, Mr. Demeanor himself, thank you very much for your time. Absolutely.